We're going to be in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, as we continue our walk through this text. And uh, let's pick up um, verse 17. From Miletus, Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. No, I'm teasing. All right. He sent to Ephesus. And called to him the elders of the church. And when the elders had come to Paul, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving with the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, in teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we'll stop right there and we'll ask the Lord to bless His Word before we, we read this and study this together. Let's, let's pray with one another. Father, your servant in the Psalms prayed, be gracious to us and bless us. Cause your face to shine upon us. That your way be known upon all the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let all of us worship and praise you. Let the peoples of the earth praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge people in righteousness and you will guide the nations of the earth. Let all the people of the earth praise you, Lord. Let all the people praise you. The earth and all that is in it is a gift. God, bless us that all the ends of the earth may know and fear you. Father, it is our goal here this morning to fear You more, but not to stop there, to love You more. Father, may Your Holy Spirit be our teacher this morning. May Your people that You have chosen, may Your elect hear their shepherd's voice and not mine. And Father, I pray this so that you will receive all of the glory. And if you're awake this morning, say something. All right, good. Let's see, I lost my place here. All right, here we go. Dead time. Dead time. Not to be confused with free time. Dead time is when you have a pocket of time that is created outside of your control where you have nothing profitable that you can do during that dead time. For example, uh, uh, an example of dead time might be that dreaded layover at the airport or worse, the waiting room at your local health care provider. Those dreaded words that when you go to your medical appointment that seem to roll slowly off the receptionist's mouth, fill out these forms. And by the way, 
You ever notice we fill out the same forms every 10 feet? Can I get a witness on that? What's your name? What's your birth date? Where do you live? Has your health care changed? I just, I just told her that. Now, let's move forward and close in a word of prayer. They seem to roll off their lips, fill out these forms, and take a seat. They might as well say, welcome to purgatory. No indulgences accepted. You look at the clock and it seems to be ticking backwards. Dead time. This week I was driving into the office or from the office and all of a sudden I ran over a nail and uh, it stuck into my tire and uh, it was affecting the driving. I had to go to the dealer and say, can you you fix fix this for me? And they said, we sure can. Do you have work with you? Because this may take a little bit. And I said, all my work is at the office. I don't have anything to do. And I walked into the the waiting room at the dealer, the automotive dealer, where all hope goes to die. And I just sit there and I plop down and I look at the first magazine and it's Oprah Winfrey offering her wisdom. And it is there that I realize I'd come to the seventh layer of the abyss called dead time. This is where Paul finds himself. Dead time. It was an unexpected time where he was not planning to spend much of his time. It was not planned. You see, he was heading to Jerusalem and, and to be with the first church in Jerusalem and celebrate Pentecost for the first time decades after it happened in Acts chapter 2. And as he was traveling home, the ship that, that he was on stopped in Miletus. A layover that lasted several days and he had no intent of stopping there. In fact, we see this in the previous verse. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus and past Miletus so that he could spend time in, uh, so he would not have to spend time there. And he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem because he wanted to be there for Pentecost. And all of a sudden, the ship stops. Dead time had found. Paul. So he is stuck in an unplanned delay about 30 miles away from Ephesus in Asia that will last for several days. So he decided to make the best of his dead time. He sent word to Ephesus requesting the elders in the Ephesian church to come and meet him for one final chat. And Paul knew that this would likely be the last time that he would ever see them. And it is in this context that we will read this passage. A lot of dead time. He may never see the elders in Ephesus again. So Paul instructed the, uh, the, the elders to come to Ephesus. And he tells them what he expects of them and what they can expect in return as they lead the church and what they must do when they lead. So I kind of want to do the same thing today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if you are presently an elder at Trinity Baptist Church serving your tour of duty, if you are an elder, I am going to invite you to come up here and sit in this crescent right up here. You may come at this time, all right? They are aware of this. I always check with them. And as they come forward, my friends... 
These are your elected elders that you have affirmed with your vote that serve you. Would you welcome them up here and, and with a, a thank you? Now, we're going to spend the rest of the hour on why they do everything wrong, okay? No, we're not. We're not. Because, by the way, I'm one of them. There should be a, a chair right there as well, and I should be listening to this as well, and I promise you that I will. So with all that being said, I will be speaking to all of you by speaking to the elders, and of course myself as well, and our responsibility to the church. You know what I love? Every one of these men have a pen and paper with them. All right. I love that about them. So we are going to be teaching one another here. All right. On how we are to be responsible for the church of God. And all the rest of you can listen in. But I want you to know this. While the wave of this message in this context is primarily going to hit them as kind of a breaker wall, if you will, the application and the content will splash all over every one of us in this room because it is for all of us as well. So we're going to be looking at 17 through 21, and our entire message is going to come from this set of verses right here. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is that the elders of the church came to Paul. The elders of the church. This tells us that he is meeting with the plurality of leadership, more than one, the plurality of leadership in the church of Ephesus. And by the way, this is the very same pattern in which we form our leadership here at Trinity as well, because we believe it, it models the pattern of Scripture. We believe in a plurality of elder leadership as the spiritual authority of the church under Christ and His Word. And while I want you to know this, there is not a single meaningful decision that will ever come down and affect the church that does not happen with all ten elders submitting to one another under Jesus Christ. What I want you to hear this is I am not the CEO. I am not the Supreme Chancellor of Trinity Baptist Church. I am not the bottleneck of ministry because one of the most dangerous people you can have in the church is someone who, who claims that he has all the authority. And I am not that person. I am a lead elder, a pastor of this church that will joyfully submit himself to the plurality of elders just, be, just like my Lord and Savior submitted himself to his heavenly Father. Now the next thing we're going to do is we're going to look at how Paul instructs the elders on how to grow the church. So I'm going to do the same today. Men, elders, whether I am with you or I am not with you. What we are about to look at and teach is from the Word of God and the Apostle Paul about how we are to grow Trinity Baptist Church. Now, the first thing we need to look at is one of the greatest mistakes that elders get involved in in trying to grow the church. One of the major mistakes that happens with church growth experts and, and pastors and elders wrongfully follow is that they try to copy the methodology of Paul. I want you to grab that word. They want to copy the methodology of Paul, claiming that the pattern of growing the church is the key. 
The pattern and the way is the key. In fact, we'll see that uh, in the words he says here, we, sh- we should seek to be home churches. And we see it in the words house to house. That's, that's what we need to do because that's what Paul did in Acts. But that would ignore the whole context of also teaching you in public, which would include synagogues, lectures halls, public squares, Acts chapter 19, 8 through 9. If I could break this down in our contemporary terms, all right, it would be like saying the structure of the church is the most important thing. We need to have small groups. No, not small groups. We have to have corporate and congregational settings and and vice versa. No, it's locations and it's service times and it's outreach versus discipleship and, and all of these nuances. If you want to grow a church, look at what the bigger churches are doing and just copy that. Methodology is not how we are to grow the church of Jesus Christ. A lot of times people say, well, we have to have satellite campuses. You must have this kind of staff and this kind of social media footprint. Okay, this kind of social media footprint. And I won't give away what I think about that, all right? This kind of social representation within our groups. Your web page has to have... I have a friend that started a church and it seemed as though they were more interested in starting as many off-site campuses as possible. In fact, it seemed as though it was their primary goal. They were after a church growth paradigm, a church growth pattern, a church growth method. And they believed if they they could just get the methodology right, if they could get the paradigm right, then the Word of God would spread effectively. Elders, this is backwards. The success of Paul's ministry is not based on methodology. It's not based on where, when, and how, but rather on his decision and his devotion to the message of God. Elders, we must never seek to grow the church by striving to meet worldly optics and industry's best practices. We must grow the church through the uncompromising teaching of the Word of God. Or else, why, pray tell, what in the world would we be growing? Amen? It is not the methodology, it is conviction and consistent message of the Word of God. Baptists, have we ever falsely equated our methodology as the goal? Have we ever said where, when, and how is just important, if not of greater importance than what we are actually delivering from the Word of God? Have we ever slaughtered the message of the Word of God in order to keep our methodology? Talk to me, what is the answer? Of course we have. If it's not Sunday night at 6, if it's not Wednesday night at 7, I know, I'm, I'm about to get slaughtered here, all right? If it's not Sunday at 11, then it's not church. False. False. It is not our methodology. Here it is. Biblical growth in the church is not based on methodology, but rather on the message of Jesus Christ. Amen? That must be the primary goal. 
Let it be said of us elders. Let it be said of us, whether you're a past elder, a present elder, or a future elder that might be sitting over here, some of our young people. Let it be said of us, past, present, and future elders, that if we grow just one single person in the ecclesia that is Trinity Local Church, let that person become come to us because they are hearing the truth of God's Word, and not just hearing the truth, but all of it all of it in fact that's where we go next in this text look he says this i did not shrink away from declaring anything that was profitable the word shrink means i didn't hold back i didn't hesitate to tell you what was here what 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 jesus taught me the words anything here points to the whole truth of god's message Putting it together, Paul held nothing back of the truth of God's message. In fact, he says here, I did it publicly and I did it privately, house to house. Again, showing us that it is the message that is important, not the methodology. Paul's not pointing to methodology when he says house to house and public and larger gatherings. What Paul is pointing to, grab this here, what he is pointing to is consistency. Whether I was public or whether I was private. Whether I was small or whether it was a large crowd. I I shared the same message in all of it. I taught the truth regardless of the setting. In fact, it goes even further with that. He says, I taught everything that was profitable. Now, this word profitable is not talking about passing the plate. Elders, we must teach both the encouraging and challenging part of God's word because all scripture is what? Profitable. All of it is profitable. When it comes to teaching the word, we must, elders, we must teach both the encouraging and challenging contexts. This is why I strongly believe that expository and exegetical teaching of God's word can never be compromised. For here it is, it both evangelizes and it disciples the church. The whole word of God must be taught. Sometimes people will come up to me and they will say, and this is actually a true statement. It's very rare, okay? And you'll, when you hear it, you'll understand it. Sometimes I'll have people come up to me and go, when are we going to have a message on tithing and sacrificially giving to the Lord? Now, this is rare, all right? This is very rare. In fact, guess how many times that's happened in 17 years? Anyone? Once. Sinners. No. When are we going to have a message on on abortion? When are we going to have a message on helping the poor? When are we going to have a message that's only evangelism or only discipleship? Or or here it is, strengthening believers or, or sound doctrine. Oh, my friends, the answer is simple. Are you ready for this? When the text brings it up, amen? When the text brings it up, we teach it. The pulpit, here it is. The pulpit does not exist for me. The pulpit does not exist for the elders to bring you what we want to say. It exists so that we might bring you what God has already declared. Oh, that the Lord would strip its bride of thematic current teaching and just teach the word. Because I want to tell you what, it would, it would fill every crack of our current popular culture. 
The whole Word of God is what changes lives. I can't tell you how many times people will come up to me and say, that you spoke directly to my heart and you changed my life. Now before you think, ah, he's bragging about himself, more often I get, how dare you? Mike, you know this, right? We agree, we're wrong, but we agree with each other. Follow that. And they'll say, you know what's going on in my life. And you chose that text just to twist the knife into my back. And I'm kind of like, yeah, kind of, a little bit, yeah. No, I did, I did. I'm like, you're giving me way too credit. We've been in the book of Luke and Acts for how long? Talk to me. Decades. You think in 1974 when we started this series? That I was able to project in time the the situation in your marriage or children and they intersected 27 years later. These numbers don't match up, do they? But just follow me, all right? That I somehow planned this? I am not that smart. Amen? I am not. I am not. But our Lord is. See, when you just teach the Word, you can, you can help protect the pulpit from becoming a bully. I don't know how many times I come into... I don't mind getting emotional about this. Probably because Michigan dominated yesterday, all right? Yes! He's on the throne! And then, of course, you still see the sin nature and that Michigan State squeaked one out. John, are you in here? That's for you, John. All right. How many times I'll come into you guys' office and I'll say, can I say this? Is it too current? Is it too relevant? Is it, is it going to seem like I'm bullying people? Is my logic consistent? Is it, and my favorite one, is it from the text? Or is this just something I want to say? And sometimes they go, it's there. Sometimes they go, I think you want to say this. And I just scratch it out. The whole Word of God is what changes lives. I want you to know my goal at the end of a sermon is that you realize because the message is so much from the text that it is no longer my voice you are listening to, but God's. I don't mean that in a weird, ooey, canoey way. I want to be able to say, those words are His, they're not, not mine. It is the consuming pressure that I carry every week when I study. And what safety there is in that for us elders. What safety there is in that. We are to be the messengers of the King. We are to be the messengers of the King. We are to be the messengers of the King. Not the editor of the opinion section in contemporary religious thought. We must teach both the encouraging... And the challenging. Contrary to what some TV preachers with amazing hair say. You ever notice they always have good hair? It's as if the Lord knows they're going to be on television. Of course he knows that they're... Okay, let me bring them back. I was listening to a podcast of a... a um, and this is totally off subject, but since I opened the door and I'm watching a lot of, or, lot of Law and Order lately, I, I feel I can bring this in. I was listening to a, a uh, contemporary artist talk about things in his life and how he wrote the song. And he says, I really learned a lot about the Lord through this season. And I, I think the Lord learned a lot about me. 
Please don't put that in your song. (laughs) That was for free. We are to be messengers of the king, not editors in an opinion section. Contrary to what some preachers with amazing hair say, we are not allowed to choose what we focus on. We cannot focus on the love of God and abandon the wrath of God. We cannot preach of His mercy that is absent from judgment. Salvation that requires no repentance. But let's be honest, conservative, Bible-believing church. We are just as guilty of selective teaching than the progressive churches in America today. We are, conservative churches are just as guilty of emphasizing one thing over another. When I first came to Trinity and who, you were here and you were here and you were almost here, the rest of you don't count. <laughs> who was that? Jory was here. But he was, he was in college and, you know, no, I'm teasing. And Jory was here, of course. When we first came to Trinity, there was this whole strong section in our church covenant, our statement of faith, where we took a strong stance on a lot of the social issues of the day. Strong stances on homosexual lifestyles, abortion, assisted suicide, and other selected topics that uh, allowed us to congratulate ourselves for taking bold stances on a decaying society. But I noticed there were no bold stances on the sin we struggled with the most. Are you following me? You ever notice we're good at that? Look at that sinner. My intention was different. You know, we just, we see it differently. So we read through the Constitution. I said, why is there no mention of heterosexual sin? Why is there a strong stance on abortion, but no mention of the sin of hoarding our wealth? And not helping the poor. Well, I see a strong stance against. Why is there no strong stance on our hearts? So the elders got together and we stripped it all out of there and we rewrote it and this is what we have today. Let's hit the button here. Now this is within the context of we have to teach both the, the encouraging and the challenging. At Trinity Baptist Church, we believe the term marriage has only one meaning and that Marriage is sanctioned by God, which joins one man and one woman in single exclusive union as delineated in Scripture. So that God intended sexual intimacy to occur only between a man and a woman who are married to each other. And that any form, and that any form, and that any form of sexual immorality outside of these precepts is offense of sin to God. Amen? By the way, that's going to hit a lot of heterosexuals. But there's more, is there not? Furthermore, 
We believe that God offers redemption and restoration to all those who confess and forsake their sins, seeking his mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and that every person must be afforded compassion, love, kindness, respect, and dignity, and that hateful and harassing behavior or attitudes directed towards any individual, regardless if they agree with you or not, that any harassing behavior or attitude directed towards an individual are sinful and will be reputed here at Trinity. Amen? You know, liberal churches tend to be good at the right side and kind of bad on the left side. And conservative churches or traditional churches can be really good on the right side, or I'm sorry, the left side, and not so good on the right side. Here's my point. Progressive churches do not get to cherry pick the truth of God's word. But grab this. Here it is, because it does us no good to talk about other people. We've got to talk about ourselves. Neither are we. Neither are the conservative churches taking a strong stance on sin while hating and devaluing someone is, is, is just as, as, as sinful as anything else. Let me say this again. Taking a strong stance on sin, the left side, while hating and devaluing someone who is not like you, the right side, is just as sinful. In fact, Jesus called it murder. Friends, when the Bible says speak the truth in love, it's not talking about the tone of our voice. Ever notice that? Someone will rip you apart and they said, I said it nicely. How many here have ever had that before? You know, I was gracious, I was I kept a soft tone, and I just told them they were worthless. Speaking truth in love is not merely talking about our tone of voice. It's talking about how we treat that person. Elders, we must teach and embrace all of God's word. Now, I want to shift my eyes off the elders here for a moment and talk to all of you for a moment. Now the wave's going to go that way. It says this, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and with trials. There in the orange. When Satan attacks the church, he will go after the leadership. These men have giant bullseyes on their back, their front, their forehead, their top, their feet, their knees, and their ankles. It's a, in fact, they're the where's Waldo of the church. They're just one giant bullseye. When Satan attacks the church, he'll go after leadership. And they will, he will especially go after the prominent leader. In this case, it is Paul. Most often it will come in the form of getting people to slander, to accuse. Imagine the attack that Paul has got in Ephesus and in Corinth as they transform a culture to the point that the silversmiths who are making the idols are saying we're going to lose all of our income because people are getting rid of all of this stuff and they're repenting. Imagine... All the attacks he got. In fact, we see it in the words with tears. Let's see, yeah, with tears here. This speaks of internal, internal emotional suffering. To be grieved and pained emotionally. Now I want to attach it to the subject of the elders within the church. 
When the elders are tasked with teaching the whole word of God, both the, 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 the profitable, the comfortable, and the encouraging, and, and the challenging. When we are tasked with that, and we are to be the spiritual leadership of the church, I just want you to hear it. These nine, ten men have a daunting task. And I want you to know, it is emotionally painful. There are times in the middle of our meetings where we just have to stop and pray. Because what we're dealing with has no wonderful answer. I want you to hear this, church. Very rarely do these men up here simply determine right and wrong in terms. Very rarely is the thing in front of us, Billy pushed Susie. And we get together and we go, we've declared that wrong. That's easy. Men, wouldn't you love that if our entire meeting was, should Billy push Susie? Maybe Susie had it coming. I don't know. All right? It gets complicated. I'm joking. In this, in this current culture, I am very much joking. All right? Far more often, we have to lead in areas that we must choose the best and wisest path forward in a jungle of poor circumstances, options, and demands. The decisions are eternally, internally, and emotionally painful. Now add on top of that concern that, that we have, we have to have a concern for the lost, the need for church maturity and discipleship, creating room for people to grow within the church of Christ, striving for a church that seeks unity in Christ, not conformity to a brand, all with hundreds of people in different areas of that sanctification journey. On top of that, we have to deal with struggling and sinning believers, people in need, the sick, the infirm, the widows. On top of that, they must protect sound doctrine in an ocean of of theological demands and positions. And, And this is before they put a budget together and pay the light bells and say hello to their family. And oftentimes, in the middle of that storm, If the elders do not meet a personal perspective or demand on a subject, the attacks will begin to come. And most of them will be couched in the language of moral failure. It will come in the form of accusations, whispers, demands, and sometimes even physical attacks. We see this summed up in the words, trials which came to me through the plots of the Jews. Here's my point. Give your elders grace. Give your elders mercy. Give them room. When you have a disagreement with the elders or you do not like or understand a decision they have to make in the fog of war, when you disagree with all ten elders that the congregation voted in and affirmed their character, and all ten of them make a decision in submission to God and one another, ask yourself this. What is their consistent reputation? What are they known for? What are they habitually known for? Look what Paul says here. I love this. There are a lot of things being said about him. There are a lot of accusations going on around Paul. And he looks at them and he says, You yourselves know. You yourselves know. In fact, he says this three times in the book of Acts alone. He says, you know my reputation. You know my character. And he says it over and over and over again. Paul appeals to their personal knowledge of him. In fact, it's written in the emphatic tense, which would translate like this. You yourselves know firsthand who I am. My friends, when you see a decision you don't like from the elders, ask them about it. Talk to them about it. 
get their perspective and then treat them in the context of the reputation that you yourselves know them for. Over the past 25 years, but I think my 25th year, Amy and I's 25th year in ministry, we've been at three churches. And what I'm about to tell you happens at every church, and it's happened in the three churches we've been in. Because here it is, it's human nature. It's my nature. Where we'll get people who have attacked the credibility of all the elders on a decision. Emails will ring in or letters will ring in labeling all the elders of the church sinners for their decision on a complicated, multifaceted, private, discernible issue. And I always, I, by the way, I always reach out to these people with a phone call or a personal meeting. I always reach out to them in person on the phone. I will never have a meaningful conversation with you on text or email. And if you understand the logic of that, say amen. And by the way, neither should you. Matthew 18 says what? Go to that person If there is a screen between you and that person, you haven't gone to them. If there is a piece of paper between you and that person, you haven't gone to them. Matthew 18 tells us we are to go to that person, not email, text them, or hide behind vocabulary words. My friends, email and text is not Matthew 18. It's called West Michigan 18. I also want to commend many of you here. I have been so encouraged over the years of how so many of you, when you have a question or a disagreement, those who say, help me to understand the perspective of the elders on the subject. When you approach the elders, when there is, there is a disagreement on that, I want to be honest with you, we love that. I mean, we don't necessarily love it, but we love that. Come to us. In fact, come let us reason together. So that we might, from two very different perspectives, align ourselves with God for His glory. By the way, folks, if I may get a little bold this morning. It's one thing for one elder to be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. There are times when I've literally said to people, and I say this to people, they don't like a decision I made, I say, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that at the end of this trail, I have egg all over my face. And I want you to know that if I find that I I blew it and I have egg over my face, I will get on my knees and I will ask for you to forgive me and repent of it. But right now, based on the information I have, I have to make this decision in the fog of war. And I hope to God I'm wrong. But when all ten elders elected from your body whose character you have affirmed affirmed to declare all of their character to be wrong is a very, very difficult accusation. This is the beauty and the protection of a plurality of elders that protects you from me. 
and why it is essential to a healthy church. The Bible says this. I love this. It says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Now notice it doesn't say that it's brought by two or three angry people. Or two or three people who don't like, but two or three people who have actually seen this character thing. Now why do I say this? Grab this. I want you to hear this. Write this down. I want to be clear. Elders fail. Men, we fail. We're pretty good at it. But we protect each other from a lot of it by submitting to one another. Elders fail. Elders get tired. Elders, despite their best and worst intentions, can miss the mark. But the question isn't, are the elders perfect? The question is, is are they of good reputation? What are they known for? You have heard me pray many times. Lord, may I be an example to this church, an example of how to succeed, and an example on how to fail. An example of how to repent. When I fail, may I be an example of how to repent and align back with you. Here is my point, church family. Church, pray for your elders. Do not pray on your elders. Satan will attack the church by attacking leadership. But now I'm going to flip this on its head and talk directly to these eight men up here. We are to conduct ourselves in such a way that when we fail or when the accusations come, and they will. Have you ever been accused of anything, Jory? Jason? You? I know you have. (laughs) You remember that? His was the biggest failure. You guys remember that? We voted on it. Now, the biggest failure is standing up here. Men, we are to conduct ourselves in such a way that when the accusations come, and they will, we can echo like Paul to the people we serve. You yourselves know. You know us. We try so hard to be consistent and godly. You know who we are. I have, I have said to people a million times who bring in a, 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 give me a word, a random or miscellaneous or what's another word? Talk to me. Okay, thank you for your help, all right? And I'll say, when have you ever known me to do this? When have you ever known me to think that and want to do something like that? And with all this being said, I want you to look at the final words in this verse. He says this, From the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. One word summarizes this. Commitment. There are times over 25 years I've walked into my office with my elder binder and I've thrown it across the room. It explodes against, and I just go home and I tell Amy, I'm done. But you can't. We can't. Commitment. Paul had an unshakable commitment to God and his church. 
elders, we must be committed to go through the storms that storms that is leading people for the gospel and for God's glory. Elders, we must lead in this. We must stand committed. We do not cut and run when things don't go our way. And by the way, church, that splashes over all of us. I want to close by telling you a story. It's a love letter from a young man who was pouring out his devotion to the girl of his dreams. He wrote the following. My dear, let's put it up there. My dear, I would climb the highest mountain. I would swim the widest stream. I would cross the burning desert just to die at the stake for you. Newlyweds. P.S. I will see you on Sunday if it doesn't rain. Elders, we must stay committed to the bride of Christ. Even when it rains. Be committed with tears, humility, example. We are to teach the truth, both the encouraging and the challenging side of it. Because the church's health is not dependent on our methodology. It is dependent on the message of God. Pastor, when will you do a sermon on the importance of church leadership and its commitment to the church? Here's my answer when the text brings it up. May God add His blessing to the whole truth that is His amazing Word. And may we gather around it regularly without forsaking one another, stirring one another unto good works until His return. Oh, and by the way, Paul accomplishes a great deal during his dead time. And we will be going through that over the next few weeks. For we have been 2,000 years later blessed with his dead time. Gracious Heavenly Father, dismiss us with your blessing. Lord, it is so easy to go to church when it's beautiful. When it's the way we want it to be. But Father, may we be committed when, when the church is ugly. Because that's how you loved us. You loved us while we were yet dead in our sins. May we return that and love one another even when it's not easy. Bless these people, Lord. Every single one of them belong to you. This is your church, your bride. I pray you find her beautiful. Chase pure. In your son's precious name. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed. The lions will not lose today.